Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we give coaches and consultants practical ideas for taking you to the next level in your business and in your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who've walked in your shoes and offer real-world experience that you can apply to your own journey. Welcome to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and today I am absolutely delighted to welcome as my guest, Adam Urbanski. Adam, welcome to my show. Great to be here, Meredith. Um, Adam and I go back a long ways. Adam, you and I first met at a conference that I co-hosted back in, I think it was 2006, so a long time. And I have followed Adam ever since then on social media. We've interacted on occasion, uh, but I haven't had a chance to have him on my podcast before. And the reason, one of the reasons I'm so excited is he's a wealth of information for people who are listening to this podcast, consultants, coaches, service professionals. And what Adam focuses on, he's known as the Millionaire Marketing Mentor. And he focuses on helping folks who have their own unique genius, how to bring that to the market and attract more of your ideal clients and close more high value sales. And what's been interesting with Adam is he gets not just rapid results for his clients, he gets big results for them. Some of them have increased their revenues as much as two to four times in just 90 days. And what I love, of course, about Adam is he doesn't do it with any kind of sleazy marketing or sales tactics. It's really common sense, but not commonly used. And so I am going to be tapping into his genius today as we talk, and we're going to be exploring some of the topics that are in his great little book. I just love this, Adam. You've packed a lot of information into this. It's called Modern Entrepreneur's Fastest Path to Cash. So Adam, before we jump in, huh? I said, thank you for the blog, Meredith. I appreciate oh, that. Well, I love that book. You know, it's packed with very practical ideas, and my listeners are going to love the fact that I'm going to dig into it with you today because they're going to get some really great ideas. But before we jump into the questions I have, I think it would be great for you to provide some context for listeners to, mm. so they understand where you came from and how you have come to help folks like consultants, coaches, and entrepreneurs today? Sure. So um, my first claim to fame is building a multi-million dollar business in less than 10 years after coming to the United States, just graduating high school, didn't speak English, and I had $194 in my pocket. And, uh, you know, people always go like, how did you do that? You know, I, I started working for someone that I bought into the company. Then I bought more of the company then I bought out my partners. And then I eventually built it out and sold it. Uh, when I sold it, I transitioned to consulting and coaching. I had, you know, very different selling yourself and your genius from selling sandwiches and, and, uh, and coffee. Uh, I had to learn a lot. I was kind of fortunate. It was right at, at, at 2000 with Internet. Um, was just being more widely accepted and popular. 
And immediately I saw a possibility for promoting services online. I was kind of pioneering that space, especially for coaching services. And, um, you know, fast forward now all the way to 2015. In those 15 years, I've promoted anything from uh, high-end licensing systems to high-end coaching programs and consulting offers like in six figures uh, to $7 eBooks and free trainings to uh, live events, year-long coaching programs, anything you can possibly imagine. You know, we've created, sold it, packaged, promoted. Uh, in 2015, I think it was 2015, I had this next eureka moment where I realized um, while my business was doing very well, a lot of my clients were not having as much success as I would like them to have. And I always had this uh, on again, off again war with the results that coaching and consulting services or training programs create for clients. You know, there's this proverbial 90% failure rate. You know, we, we almost expect that just a small percentage of people that we get to work with actually end up creating something significant as a result of working with us. And I was never quite okay with it, especially when it comes to high-end services where we charge people significant amounts of money, individuals or companies. And I embarked on this results revolution. I uh, dissolved my coaching programs. I uh, hid all my uh, programs and products of my website and sort of stewed on it for almost a year before having this brilliant idea that most of us know what we need to do, we just don't do it. So how can we create a program that actually allows people to do what needs to be done to get the results they want to get? And we created what we call, again, kind of, uh, I, I nicknamed it my uh, personal results revolution, but the program is called Revenue Rev Up Intensive. It's a game, we gamify the whole thing. And truly our focus is to help service professionals take the last year's revenues and create just as much revenue as they did in the previous 12 months in just 12 weeks. And uh, I'm happy to report that we have a 90% success rate three and a half years going into the program. We consistently have over 90% success rate helping our clients get the results that they come, come to us to, uh, to help them create. So that's kind of a, a short, long-winded story where, you know, where I came from where I am now. Well, actually, it's, it's a very interesting story because I think it's something that um, people who are thoughtful in their business often experience themselves if they've been at this a while, which is shifting gears at a certain point. After you've done things a certain way for a while, you decide, you know, I could tweak this or I could revolutionize it. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that you took the time to do that with your business instead of doing the same things. And now you've started getting these phenomenal results with your clients. And I know that a key piece of that is the three-step process that you describe in your book. So as we get started, give us kind of the high-level overview of those three elements that are critical to making the kind of um, leaps in revenue that you help your clients get. Yeah. You know, at, when you look at any business, at the core of that business are primary three, there are really three things needed to generate revenue. Number one, you need someone with the problem, right? You need a problem that needs solving. Number two, you need something that solves that problem. And then number three, you need a bridge, a connector between those two. Right? And that's essentially how money is made. Now, the money is actually made in the connecting part between the problem 
and a, and a person that has that problem. So great news for, for all of us, especially if you're willing to sell services and expertise, the great news is that we are essentially a walking, breathing, talking, money-making machine. That all of experience, expertise, uh, training, that you've, you know, perspective in life that you've accumulated, that's sitting right here, that can be readily monetized. It can be turned into cash uh, if you do it the right way. The danger is that most people structure it in such a way that they create a prison for themselves, right? Because they think that they have to be the solution to every problem, which isn't true, right? You have to identify the problem, then you have to identify a solution, and your job is connecting the two, not necessarily creating, right? So at the very highest, at the highest level for every single person, it's identifying what's the genius that you possess that could solve some problems that there's an audience out there um, that's looking to solve. The second thing is, how do you connect with that audience? How do you find them? How do you put that, uh, that offer in front of them? And then the third part, the last part is, knowing how to guide people through the decision-making process. Of course, we know it as sales process, but it's, it's the same thing. So build your, package your genius, battle your genius create some sort of marketing vehicle that allows you to get attention of the right audience, the right market. And then when that market, um, you either interrupt them by reaching out to them or they notice you um, by, you know, content like podcasts or articles and they come to you, you have the ability to connect with them and guide them through the decision-making process, which by the way, does not have to lead to a sale. Right? Very often we will guide someone to actually decide against doing business with us. And it should be so because not everybody should buy it from you. That's a good point. And let's talk a little bit about that first element because you brought up something in your book that I have also seen to be true. And that is when people identify their area of genius, sometimes yeah. it's hard for them because it, it, mm -hmm. that area is so easy <laughs> for them yeah. that they don't think of it as genius. So what are some ideas that you have for that first part of helping someone figure out what is it that I'm good at that people would pay me for? Yeah, you know, in fact, I'm actually uh, having a friend that's going through this struggle at, at kind of a, uh, a midpoint in life. They need to reinvent themselves and go like, what do I, you know, what am I good at? Like, what do I do? And it's a tough thing to do. You know, it's like once you figure it out on the looking back, of course, but when you when you at the at the at, when you before this, it's almost like mission impossible. Um, definitely, you know, I'll give you a couple of suggestions here. For me, it's always starting to notice uh, what things you take for granted that other people struggle with. So when someone when you do things on a daily basis and people around you go, "Well, how did you do that?" They're like, "Wow, how did you do that?" They almost like they're puzzled. And you sort of go like, oh, that, that, that little thing, that's easy. You know, it's easy for you. It's easy to you to do it. For someone else, obviously, they just became mesmerized because to them it's black magic. You take it for granted. You know, there's a saying that you know it as well as the back of your hand. And the problem is that because you know it so well, again, you start, you start, uh, you stop recognizing the value of that knowledge, right? So number one, pay attention. When someone gets mesmerized, by what you do, ask like, wow, how did you do that? That's a signal that that's something you're very uniquely good at. Uh, when, with, if, when people come to you and ask you questions, when repeatedly you notice people come and ask you about 
how would you solve certain things? What would you do in a certain situation? And either the thing or the situation is repetitively the same thing. That's, again, another indication that people around you notice an area of expertise that you probably take completely for granted. Again, it comes easy to you, so you go like, what's the big deal, right? I'll do it for free. That's another thing. You find yourself doing things all the time, going like, man, if I could just do this all day long, I'll do it for free. That's probably a great indicator that it's something you should be doing, except not for free. You should be charging a lot of money for it because it comes so easy to you through either years of experience or educating yourself or just being passionate about it. You've acquired a lot of skill, expertise, perspective, that again, you take for granted and to other people it's black magic. And then the final thing, you know, as we go through life, um, we run into challenges, right? We all have to overcome certain challenges. Uh, and if you overcame that, you know, some challenges in life, you've created a process for yourself to overcome that challenge. Mm -hmm. And it's often going back and I call it, you know, how to translate your struggles into your uh, success systems. So if you were, you know, you couldn't find job and then you ended up getting a job of your life, how did you do that, right? There was some sort of process. Uh, if you were horrible at dating and then all of a sudden you found the love of your life, you know, how did you do this? There was a, some sort of process took place. Uh, but those are like singular occasions, but there are things that you, under, you know, for businesses, your business struggled and then you turn things around and then you learn how to market so you consistently got enough business. There were some changes you've made that allowed you to consistently get different results. What's that process? What's that system? Someone out there is struggling with the very same thing and you know you took five, you know, three, five, seven, ten steps uh, that took you in the right direction. What were those steps? If you share them with other people, there is a market out there that's willing to pay for it. So it's really discovering what that is, and then the next thing is learning how to package it in the right offer. Great. And then the other two areas, which to me are, are all around business development, the marketing and the sale, selling part. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that, because one of the things to me that, and by the way, if you're not following or connected to Adam on Facebook, he, he puts out some great material mm. there. Um, but one of the things that you consistently do is give suggestions and ideas, not just in your book, but on social media of things that a consultant or coach could do that's not going to require a huge investment for them. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what are some of the things that a person could do to zero in on reaching their ideal prospective clients. You know, that's a great question. I appreciate the plug for my Facebook um, um, performance over there. That's actually kind of, that's my personal marketing machine, right? Sharing content. And at the highest level, my biggest piece of advice I would give to anyone that's starting a business, it really is about teaching more of your expertise. Now think about the things that you do for your clients, the problems that you help them solve, and start teaching some of those solutions for free to an audience at large. Because what happens is I always say like, when you pitch, people run. When you teach, people come. Like when you show up and say, just buy my stuff, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. No one, it's like you show up as a salesperson. No one wants to do it. I don't have the time. I don't need it. I don't have the money. You've got all sorts of excuses. But when you show up and you say, hey, let me show you how to improve your situation. 
Let me show you a, you know, a strategy how to fix that problem. Let me teach you a, 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 you know, a few things I've learned when I was in that situation. No one's gonna go say, go away, I don't wanna know anything about you. Especially when you show up and say, let me just show you that. And there's no, and when I show you this, you know, then buy my stuff. There's like, there's no strings attached, just teach. And amazingly, people start showing up and they start tuning in. Now, of course, there is a strategy to that too, because if you just teach, teach, teach and never make any offers, you still go hungry. So you have to invite people to take the next step with you. But that's kind of the biggest thing. And then, you know, I call it my lighthouse content strategy. Imagine this, your ideal clients are sort of like ships on a vast body of water. And, you know, they're, they're on, a, on a very, and it's, it's stormy out there and it's dark and it's foggy. And they know that there is a safe harbor somewhere, but they, and they even may be heading in the right direction, but they're just, they know there are rocks and they know there is the shore. They have no idea how to enter the harbor. And we, what your job is, is to build that lighthouse that essentially sends a, a, either, you know, a horn, a bullhorn or a beacon of light and lets them know head in this direction. And what I'm really talking about is there, there, there's so much uh, noise in every industry, in every marketplace, on every topic. And most of it is very regurgitated, kind of the same thing. A lot of it is guilting people into feeling certain ways so they take the next step. So the Lighthouse content is really about you establishing kind of your, your expertise, your thought leadership. Dan Miller from uh, StoryBrand talks about uh, empathy and expertise. You show up that, you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care about them. So part of your teaching is knowing like, hey, I've, I've been in the same spot. I, I'm dealing with this. Oh, I dealt with this, right? Oh, I struggled with this. I found some lessons. I found some breakthroughs. Let me share them with you. I know what it's like when you're in this place. So it's, the empathy is relating to people. The expertise is showing your, sharing the tips, good stuff. And I think what's really important is exploring the unexplored points of view. When everybody goes in one direction, the easiest thing is to agree with everyone. The hardest thing is to kind of be a voice and say, this is all, that's not right. Like you, you guys are all heading down there, you know, down to the, uh, to the cliff and not even seeing it. So hello, here's a different path. And some people will start criticizing you right away, which is good, right? That also gets notoriety. And some people will start going like, wait a second, you know, everybody's heading this way and everybody's struggling. So maybe I should listen to this different voice. Like all those ships are heading in this direction and crashing on the rocks. So maybe I should follow this light and enter a safe harbor. That's kind of my idea for marketing. Like teach more, create content that essentially your marketing should be an extension of what you actually do for clients as a paid service. Just spill a little bit of it, spill a little bit of it away for free. I love that. There are several things that you said there. First of all, I agree with you. The book Story Brand by Donald Miller is excellent and highly recommend that yeah. to listeners. Um, but as someone who's experienced your posts on Facebook, I can do a little bit of a kind of confirming and analyzing of what you're talking about because mm -hmm. there are a number of times when you'll have a good lead sentence that grabs my attention. It's sort of a hook. And so it makes me want to read the rest of your posts. And they're usually thought provoking. You enjoy challenging the status quo. And I think that that is a really good um, strategy for someone who is interested in attracting only their ideal clients that yes. are going to resonate 
with their message. Because I think sometimes we get concerned about um, taking a risk mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, uh, alienating somebody. But the reality is, uh, based on what you're saying and what I think has worked extremely well for you, is this putting it out there so that people know where you stand, take a stand on things. And you use Facebook extremely effectively. I think a good guideline would be which platform are a person's ideal prospects on the most. And that's probably the platform that they should focus on. Do you recommend multiple? I know you're on multiple platforms, but do you recommend trying to focus on more than one? Oh, that's, you know, this question has so many things in there. Uh, just this, this content strategy, being able to be, uh, to be polarized. You know, as we're having this conversation, I actually just finished kind of a coaching session with clients and a lot of it had to do with content and actually opening yourself up to the possibility of sharing things that can be controversial or personal or polarizing. And I think one thing I want, you know, your, your listeners and our listeners to know that it never gets easier. Like if you think, oh, it's easy for this Urbanski guy from Meredith to like, you know, be controversial because they're established. It actually gets harder because you've got more eyes on you and you've got people that are your peers and they're very successful. And if you mess up, it's like, it's, it's a lot, a lot more potential to blow up in your face. You know, every time I need to press post or send, you know, I always have this like, oh my God, you know, is this the right thing? Will, will that resonate with my audience? Am I going too far? Is this too shallow? Like, you know, at least personally, that for me never goes away. And I know from conversations with many of my colleagues, that feeling of, of questioning yourself, you know, that essentially is an indicator you care about your audience. You don't just want to put, you know, any ordinary stuff out there. You, mm. you question your choices. In terms of platforms, you know, I uh, sort of got married to Facebook. Probably if a client told me this, I would advise them against it but I kind of became a singular platform guy. I'm very rarely going on LinkedIn, even though I deal with entrepreneurs and business owners who I know are on LinkedIn. Uh, I just found a way to, uh, to find them and attract them on Facebook. And regardless what platform you are, you know, as we're doing this, it's like beginning of 2020, uh, all the social media platforms will become more and more restrictive as they see more and more people, kind of like us marketers, gaming the platforms. So you're right. You need to start with the platform that you are most active on right now, where you have the most traction. You need to be considered where your audience most likely is, but don't be too restrictive. You know, for example, there is a platform out there right now called TikTok. I'm personally not, I actually take it back. I am on it. Now I'm always smart enough to to look at things. Uh, A few years back, there was a platform called Snapchat. It still exists. I'm not on it anymore, but for about two or three months I was on it. And actually, uh, a handful of my super successful clients today, you know, five years later, uh, came from my 90-day stint on Snapchat. What was good about it back then, that there were not a whole lot of marketers and, and professionals like me, so it was very easy to get notoriety and visibility. So TikTok today, not a big platform, maybe not a whole lot of your clients on it yet, but very easy to get notoriety and visibility because it's so limited, right? So that's another thing to consider. Um, And then the last thing, actually two last things, consider, um, you know, what comes to you naturally in terms of what what do you enjoy doing and and what do you enjoy hanging out the most? 
and then regardless of what platform you are on, um, guide people to some place where you gain control of that audience. So namely, you should be building a list, you should be gathering people's data, phone numbers, you know, emails, addresses, because, because of the privacy concerns, all, all the platforms in the next two years will become a lot more restrictive with what you can uh, collect from those platforms. And they'll become a lot more restrictive in terms of distributing your, your, your message for free organically. More and more, they will require payment, paid advertising. And again, on some of the platforms, it's still not too prohibitively expensive, but still that's cash you're gonna have to put out to get that message out there. So just be mindful of that versus when you own an audience, it will be easier to get the message out. Mm -hmm. Great point. Yes. I personally use LinkedIn just as a contrast mm -hmm. because I've been on there for such a long time. And, uh, and it just, I think it's a personal thing, you know, but also not just personal preference, but where are your prospective ideal clients? Mm -hmm. I want to also go back up. I want to get to the sales piece, but first I want to back up a little bit. You were talking about 90% of your clients now are really getting great results. So I'd like to get you to talk about what are some of the characteristics that mm. are, that those people possess who, first of all, you know, they come to you. Is it a different um, mix of characteristics of that group that you work with now than the ones you worked with before where only 10% of them got the results? What's different in other words? Yeah. So, you know, I definitely have to credit, um, you know, the structure of our program for some of that success. Um, but I think it's, Structure of the program starts with selecting the right clients. So, you know, we all, I would imagine that pretty much every company, you know, every service professional says, I only work with the right clients. Unfortunately, many of them are just kind of using it as a lip service and not actually practicing it. Uh, I know I've done this at times. I was hungry for cash. I needed to make sales, bring in revenue into a company, feed my family, uh, and probably took on business that I shouldn't have taken on. And uh, again, from a perspective of time, all I can tell you that if I were to do this again, I'll be a lot wiser and actually not do this because the right client is right around the corner and taking on the wrong client just takes on that spot and it's going to just drain you from energy, excitement, enthusiasm, focus on what actually needs to be done in the business, not worth it. So that's the first step for us, selecting the right client. So what I'm very clear about is what they need to have in place. And so we call it our perfect client persona, our PCP score. And actually it's a kind of interesting process because it's got um, six criteria. Typically we advise clients identify six criteria that you can easily visibly observe about your potential clients. So for example, when um, people will come, who's your ideal client? Well, the coachable, and they're spiritual and, you know, or like they'll come up with a, a bunch of different, you know, they have great culture or something like if it's a company. I'm like, great, but, you know, if you want to identify a prospect on LinkedIn or, you know, on, on, on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook, just by glancing at their information, you can't tell if they're coachable. You can't tell if they're spiritual. You can't tell if they're, you know, goal-driven. Like you can't tell any of this. So you need to identify 
markers that are easily identifiable. And the first five for us are actually positive things. So things like, you know, how are they actually sharing content on social media? For us, I'm looking for B2B service providers and experts. So if they are uh, coaching someone on, you know, health challenges, yeah, we could help them, but that's actually not our ideal, ideal client. So that, that score gets lowered, right? So who do they do business with? Are they offering, um, do they have a clear offer at this point? Can they articulate at this point? What's the clear offer? Again, looking at someone's information, I can see, do they have a clear marketing message, right? Uh, do they, for example, use video in the marketing, um, uh, in the marketing mix? Do they have a website that has an opt-in, some sort of opt-in mechanism, so they're collecting leads? Those are things that in 30 to 60 seconds, someone evaluating that person on my behalf, they can score that person, you know, zero to two. Zero means they don't, two means they're perfect, one is like, eh, wishy-washy, right? So now I have a score of anywhere from zero to 10 points based on five criteria, right? 10 would be ideal. Anything less than seven, there's no point of us even pursuing the prospect. That's not a good fit for us, right? Seven is actually very questionable. If they're not at eight and higher, there's probably not too many red flags. And then now what's the sixth criteria? This is an interesting one because the sixth criteria for us becomes what we call an intimidation factor. So, for example, could what I do help someone like, I don't know, Tony Robbins and his organization? Probably, but for right now, my organization isn't big enough, famous enough, strong enough, whatever. In my mind, I'm no one to help Tony Robbins. So I could never sell Tony Robbins. So the second score actually becomes reverse. If it's 10 on the, on the intimidation factor, it's too high. I'm not going to close that sale. Not going to happen. Right? So it needs to, on this, on that, on a second score, if it's probably higher than four, chances are you're going to sabotage that sale. Right? So we have a high first score and a low second score. Mm -hmm. That's kind of our two numbers. So if I get, you know, if I get 12, meaning um, 10 on a first score and two on a second one, that's a really good prospect for us to explore. Did that, that's did that, was a great that formula. I think that's a great formula for anyone to think about for their, um, their ideal prospect because I think the, what you're really talking about there is clarity, mm -hmm. having a, yeah. a very sharp focus on who it is that you might be looking for. And I know I've, I've done that for our own business and it makes a huge difference. It's not that you won't ever interact yeah. with anyone else, but in terms of where you're going to invest your time since you have limited time, it's a wonderful strategy for you see what happens. So let me just add a few things to it. What happens? All our content now can be geared towards people and, and help people identify themselves based on those criteria. So within the lessons, I can talk about having to use these kinds of things or having them present in your, in your business. And people that don't have it either start putting it into the business so they turn themselves into a perfect prospect or they disagree with me and then therefore they disengage. Perfect. So it pulls in the right people and pushes away the wrong people. And then once we enter into more of a, a diagnostic conversation with potential clients, then we can um, you know, assert some other things, which is 
you know, for me, for example, I'm looking for, at, at people with very healthy success and money mindset. Uh, in, in our toolbox, we don't have resources or we don't have tools to fix it. That's not our expertise, right? So if someone comes with an unhealthy attitude towards, you know, either being productive or money or kind of healthy behaviors towards themselves and others, that's not, we can't help them, right? So we, we have to eliminate them. Uh, I'm looking for people that are solution-oriented. So, you know, that's something we teach our clients. There are two types of people. Those who find 100 problems with every solution and those who find 100 solutions for every problem. If you're the first, if you're the first type, we can't work together because every time we give you a suggestion, you're going to give us a list of reasons why it won't work for you. I'm not interested. I'm interested in a person who says, I've got an issue, will identify five potential solutions, and you go out to trying them out. Right? That's real life. One of them will work, but you've got to be willing to put them into action, not look for problems with it. So again, uh, one final thing I'll show you that might be very helpful to your listeners is historically, I had a hard time identifying a niche. Even though you know, I work with B2B service professionals and coaches primarily or consultants, um, it's still like those dem kind of demographically describing people was always a challenge. Like how long are they in business? What's the current revenue level? How many employees do they have? And they're all over the place for me. How do we actually zero in on a perfect person? And what we've started looking at as our kind of core identifier is looking at where the person wants to be and how hungry they are to get there rather than where they're actually coming from. Mm. Right? So like your current state of your situation or your business, really, I mean, it's important because, it, it, I mean, if you're completely under the water and can't catch a breath, you've got to find, you've got to really get yourself about that first. But what I'm really more interested in is like, where are you trying to be? How fast are you trying to get there? And how hungry are you to get there? Because that will determine whether or not, you know, we can help you and whether or not you're the right fit and you will do the work that we tell you to do. Mm -hmm. Those are excellent. And I think what it will do is also stimulate listeners to, for themselves, what are the criteria they want to put in place so they mm -hmm. attract and speak with those ideal clients, which kind of is a nice jumping off point for this getting into sales conversation. Mm -hmm. Although you don't call them sales conversations, uh, if I remember correctly. And, and so I'd just like to ha have you spend some time talking about what is it that needs to happen when yeah. someone gets on a call with someone who's a good fit as a prospective client? What's the best approach that you have found? So, you know, again, I've, I've traveled this 360 degrees. I've been on, on all sides of that spectrum. Um, I think it's funny to not call sales sales. I think it's funny to try to hoodwink potential clients into like, let's come to a strategic session. And then they feel so, you know, cheated and beat up because at the end, you know, you as a provider feel like you, oh, you've earned the right to pitch and it, it, they should explore buying from you. But if they weren't prepared and it, and it wasn't set up this way from the very get-go, of course they can get angry at you and mad. And of course they go and, you know, and they, people become jaded because they've been hoodwinked so many times that now they hear come to a free consultation. It's not a free consultation. It's a sales session. Call it what it is unless it really isn't. So I think one of the big things for us that shifted, and by the way, you know, I kind of looked at it because I had success with this for so long. 
where I invited people, for example, if I ran a sales promotion, I invited people, I would say, look, here's my phone number, let's connect for a quick two, five minutes, you know, seven minutes at the most. But here are the criteria. When you call, there are two rules. Number one, you don't get to pump me for free info. This really is a decision in the exploration process, whether this is the right fit or not. So you don't get to pump me for free info. This is not a free consultation, right? You can't come and say, well, I've got this situation, what would you do? And then that's not how it works. What you can ask me is like, I'm dealing with this, uh, will part of your program help me address the challenge? And I can tell you yes or no, right? And that wasn't in my sales materials, so fair enough. Second rule is, I don't get to pressure you to buy. I don't get to tell you, you an idiot for not buying from me today, it's such an awesome deal. That's off the table, right? So to me, it's a fair exchange. You come in to um, ask questions about this to, so you can make a decision. I am here to answer those questions and potentially maybe ask you questions you haven't thought of uh, to help you make a decision, but that's about it, right? And if, whatever you decide, you decide. In fact, you don't have to decide anything. You just take me from my answers. I thank you for calling and we hang out. Done deal. And it worked for me so well that I said, why not just make all my sales conversations this way? So I call them the mutual fit assurance chats, right? A and mutual, the rules, a mutual, mutual fit, fit assurance, assurance chats. Okay. Same rules apply, right? You don't get to bump me for free info. Now, in the process of conversing with you and diagnosing what's going on, I will certainly give you a plenty of advice that you can act on right away, right? That's just, if you have an area of expertise and you talk to someone, helping them diagnose the problems, inevitably you're gonna give them lots of gold. And, and that happens, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a teacher by heart. I love to give specific advice. It's natural for me, but that's not, the core of what the conversation is supposed to be about. And the same thing on my end, you know, I don't get to pressure you to like, you gotta buy it right now, here's the deal. If you hang up, the deal is gone. To me, I think it's silly. If, if, we, for, if we start the relationship with someone with that kind of setup, how can it be a good coaching consulting relationship where you kind of have those two dynamics, right? So that's kind of the initial setup that's different. Second thing, you know, we do a lot of pre-qualifying with people uh, before they, they come to a sales conversation, including the, the investment level. Like, look, let's just be upfront what it is. Is, is this something that you can deal with, that, that you're prepared to handle? Like, so we ask so many questions and we tell them so many things about what's on the inside that really when they come to the call, it really is a mutual fit assurance that they've got, you know, two or three questions that we have not thought of addressing and they're very personal to them. And we have, you know, two or three or four questions about them that's kind of hard to ask in writing or in, 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 in uh, material somewhere that can really only be figured out in a personal conversation. And one last thing on a sales conversation. I know we have up against the time. So here's very important. Most people view sales conversations the wrong way. They look at it as a boxing match. Like one person is going to win and the other person has to go down. And I look at it as a, uh, as a, as a mutual outlook so seeking solution. So when people come, metaphorically, picture this. You show up for a meeting with the prospect, and the first thing you say, Mr. or Mrs. Potential Client, I know you're looking out there and you see a problem, right? And you're struggling with solving the problem. Would it be okay with you if I came on your side of the table and if, we if you showed me that problem, we both looked at the problem from your perspective, and maybe if we put our two heads together, we'll figure out a way to address it. If we find a way 
that involves me, great. If you find a way that doesn't involve me, great as well. But first things first, I would love to see what you are looking at. No one will ever say, no, I don't want to do that, right? No one will ever say that. And it, it completely eliminates this, like, I am here, you are there, I am better, you are worse. No, it's just you have an issue. I happen to stumble upon this, or we happen to, to, to stumble upon each other. You think I might solve it. I might be thinking I might solve it, but first things first, I need to know what you're looking at. Would you please allow me to look at it from your perspective? Let's get on the same side of, this, of the problem. I think that's a fabulous way to describe it because you, you're getting them to actually picture you sitting mm -hmm. with them. Uh, and then um, just your whole body language as you were describing that and looking off together in the distance yeah. just sets a whole different tone. There's no pressure. There's no stress. Yep. It's that whole attitude of how can I serve you? by yeah. understanding what it is you're dealing with. So once they describe that to you and you feel like you've got a clear picture, then what typically would you say next? And typically what happens is, you know, number one, I mean, this is like sales one-on-one to me, but maybe it isn't to someone else, is you want to, every time you, you think you understand something, don't assume it. Like in my, in my world, in sales world, assumption is the first step to help. If you think you understand, validate. Like, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I think you're telling me. This is what I'm seeing. Is this correct? Is this correct? Uh, and you want to always drill deeper. You want to understand the reasons. Why is this happening? What do you mean by this? Uh, what's this problem really? You know, what's the problem behind the problem? If this problem went away, what would the ideal situation look like? Uh, what's the solution that you're exploring? What kind of solutions would be a good solution for you? Uh, what's not a good solution that would not serve you? Like you've got to, you've got to ask all of those deep questions, right? And if it is a fit, then you say, well, if I understand correctly, here's what's going on. Here's where you're trying to get to. If there were a, a way, the first thing is a, is a uh, pre-agreement question. If there were a way to, to, to make those problems go away, uh, bring about those benefits and do it in a time frame and in a way that you want to do it, is that something that you would be prepared to make an investment in, right? I'm, I'm shortcutting the whole process here by a lot, but it's essentially a transitioning and pre-agreement question, right? If we could make those problems go away, if we could bring about those benefits and do it in a way that's kind of in agreement with what you are looking for, is there anything that will prevent you from making an investment, right? Is there a reason you would not invest? Or are you willing to explore the investment? If the answer is yes, and it's like, let me show you, you know, how our program fits into what you do, or we can say, look, based on this, we cannot, I can't help you, we can't help you, my program doesn't address it. I can give you a few suggestions or recommendations, um, but you know, in, in, all, um, in all fairness, I, I couldn't possibly take your money. And I've done this, you know, funny thing, I can think of a handful of people that to this day are actually my clients, when at first I send them to competitors. And to this day, they come back and buy from me. And every time they said it, it's like, I know that when you allow me to buy from you, I know you know that it's good for me because in the past you told me not to, you, you forbid me to buy from you. When I came, you know, I, I sent a $15,000 client away to someone and I said, by the way, when you go to this other person, it will cost you 30,000, not 15, but it's going to be a, a 15 times better solution for you than what I would tell you. 
right? And to this day, they, they come to me and say, you know, it was amazing. It was just what I needed. The person was just what I needed, but I was not a solution, right? Mm-hmm. Well, so that I think, builds amazing credibility for you and trust that people know you really are looking out for their best interest. Mm-hmm. So they would naturally want to come back to you if they feel like this time you really yeah. are the solution to what they're looking for. You know, so a couple other things here for sales conversations to be more natural. One is again, decide that um, you have no vested, you have no agenda in actually closing the sale. Like if you show up with the agenda of closing the sale, you've lost, right? You're so attached that you can't really be present. You can't be helpful. In fact, I, many of my conversations start this very way. It's like, look, I've got zero vested agenda in any particular outcome at the end of this call with maybe one exception, which is I would love to leave you better off than you are right now in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Is that okay with you? Again, no one will ever say no. Right. And then I may say something, look, of course, beyond these conversations, we do have programs that are, if it's a fit, I would love to your permission to tell you about it. Would that be okay? And again, no one will say, well, no, it's, and it's so natural. Right. And then in the conversation, I think a handful of things are important. One, I'm not looking to overcome objections. Instead, my objection, my object, uh, objective in the, in the conversation is to look for red flags. Like why shouldn't, why this person shouldn't or couldn't be our best client? Mm. Why they couldn't or shouldn't? And if I find red flags, then I should not sell them, period. All right? And I am engaging them in that conversation and letting them know, let's find reasons why you shouldn't take my, find my program. If we can't find those reasons, then perhaps we should do business together. And if there are a bunch of red flags, let's not, try, let's not struggle to try to fix them. We're just not a good fit. Mm-hmm. Right? Another thing that I tell people, look, uh, there's no breakthrough without a breakdown. Right? So essentially, I become a doctor, you become a patient, and I'm going to be probed in places you don't want to be probed. Is that okay with you? I have no need to be better. I have no need for judgment. I have no need to be right. I just need to diagnose the problem. And if you don't trust me to probe in those places, I can't write a prescription. Therefore, there is no point of having a meeting. Right? So if you can't trust me for whatever reason, uh, you know, I don't be trustworthy or you have some other issues you know, from the past, that's perfectly okay. We're just not a good fit. There's no, we can have a quick chit chat and go on our merry way, but it's not going to go any farther. Mm-hmm. I think it's really allowing yourself. And here's the thing. Again, you may be thinking, oh, Adam, it's good for you because you've got all this business. It really doesn't matter. I wish that I understood this sooner. This really about, it isn't about my agenda. It's about helping someone make a decision. It's about relating to someone. You know, every, every one of us has fears, inhibitions, dreams, desires, problems we want to solve. It's just being with the person and going like, where are you going? Where are you trying to get to? You know, what's holding you back? What would help you get there faster? And then if I can see that what I have would be a good fit, I'm like, can I describe to you how I see it as a fit? And then let's see if you see it the same way. If yes, let's figure out if we can make it work. If not, not a big deal. It really isn't. Mm-hmm. You, don't need to, you don't need to tell me, I need to think about it. I need to ask 77 other people about their opinion. It's like, you know, you are here, I'm here, we can make it work. 
or we can't. And either way is good. Mm -hmm. I love those comments. I, the, each one of those is its own nugget that I think would be well worth somebody pondering as they think about and reflect on their own sales conversations that they've had in the past. You know, how, how have they shown up? in terms of pressure or thoughts they've had about themselves or about this client being yeah. the one versus i love your idea of red flags looking for yeah. red flags looking for reasons why not because in a way thinking about the traditional objections kind of thing you're posing your own kind of objections about them exactly. in your own exactly. mind and you're kind of knocking those down as you go through the conversation or not yeah. to determine if this person is potentially a good fit you know i i, I love i love that you summed it up this way because it's, that's exactly what it is and people struggle with marketing and sales so much and they have so many negative connotations with both of those aspects of our business and i essentially you know help people overcome those negative connotations by changing them by in two ways. Write the word marketing and the equal sign and put teaching next to it. So replace marketing by teaching. Just teach people how to address the situation, how to be better off in life, in relationships, in money, in careers, in business. Just teach, right? And, and that's your best marketing is, is your teaching. And the second one, sales, put the, work, the, the equal sign and put advising. Or um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, just being someone's confident. You really are looking for, for their best. And if you show up this way to sales conversations or like in life and in business, you know, I promise you, will there be some people that will be, um, that, that just don't, don't get this kind of level of trust and, and commitment to each other? Sure. It's like, it's like in a relationship. If someone doesn't get it, you just don't have a relationship with them. It's the same way in business. If someone is not willing to play at that level of integrity, then you just release them and let them go. But amazingly, the clients that do buy into this, um, your life, your business, it, it, it's gonna, it will soar. Because it's, just, it's such an amazing way to be, period. It is. And the word that I was thinking of when you were talking about advising, for me, it's serving. When I yeah. get into a conversation with someone whose perspective a prospective client, I'm looking and listening for how can I help this person in this moment? You know, whether yeah. they decide to, in our case, buy our products or not, what is it they need at this moment where I might be able to share an insight, a resource, mm -hmm. or some way be of service to them? And that's what you're, I think you're getting at with yeah. the advising. And in the process, you get a sense of who they are, and if there might be opportunities for you to work yeah. together. And what I love about your approach too, is not being shy about saying, mm. you know, I think there may be a good fit here and then asking permission. Would it be okay if I told you about this instead of making that assumption like you talked about and jumping in yeah. too quickly? Because yeah. to me, the whole approach you've described from the, the get-go all the way through the sales conversation is no pressure, no yeah. pressure on you or the other person. So you are relaxed and confident and they sense that. Mm -hmm. and, and so they feel to me, I would feel more free in a situation like that to be honest with you. Yeah. I think it's a good fit or no for, you know, whatever the mm -hmm. reasons, but just to have that open dialogue, 
and not play games. Mm -hmm. You know, um, like last three things here, I know we pressured for time here probably to, to wrap it up with a reasonable uh, amount of minutes for your podcast. But one, I, I, I love the idea of a servant leader. Um, I don't use the word um, serve as sales because surprisingly, actually, a lot of women have an issue with that. Mm. Like they don't want to serve, uh, especially if it's a man audience. Whatever the connotations, and I just found it to be a challenge sometimes. So I kind of uh, I shy away from the word, uh, but it really is being of service to someone. It's just that simple. So if you don't have a problem with it, by, by all means, buy into that. The second thing, uh, the no pressure. You know, the, the image that comes to mind for me, if you love to bake cookies and you love to throw parties, people come and you put cookies on the platter and you take them around the room. And some people will go like, man, I, you know, and you have chocolate chip cookies. And some people go like, man, I love chocolate chip cookies. Can I take two? Some will say, no, thank you. And some will say, please stay away. I'm, aller I'm definitely allergic to chocolate, right? You're not going to go like, oh my God, you hate my cookies or you hate me or my cookies. It just, it's normal, right? Enjoy the cookies. If you enjoy them, great. If you don't enjoy them, not a big deal. There's something else to eat or go somewhere else. Not a big deal. The final part of it is that I actually do put pressure on people sometimes and I let them know, look, you know, I'm going to fight for you. If I see that this is a good fit, I'll fight for you against your own limitations. And I compare it to sort of like if you come across someone who is so malnourished that they can't lift the hands to, to spoon feed the soup, you got to spoon feed them. Right? And, and, and it's like you got to hold them and spoon feed them until they have enough energy to help themselves. So, and, and, but it doesn't come out of my need. It comes out of, 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 a, of a kind of like, to me, it's like a human need of supporting someone else the way they need to be supported. Mm -hmm. So when I, feel as, when I feel that it's like, this is truly the best for you, I can be pretty assertive. Again, without needing to be right, without turning the person into like, you wrong if you don't do it but I'm gonna bring my best arguments and my best tools that I possibly can to guide the person into making a decision. That is really excellent. And I think it's such a good point for us to kind of wrap up with because the idea is you're not being passive in this mm -hmm. conversation. You are fully engaged. And that yeah. means you're willing to be whoever and whatever you need to be mm -hmm. to best serve this client's needs. And I love that, that if you sense that what you have is really what they can benefit from, but their own limited thinking and, and whatever thoughts are holding them back, then sometimes you've got to just be as direct and um, mm -hmm. forceful, maybe a little strong word, That's but a sort of yeah to just hold it up to them what they're mm -hmm. doing to themselves so they can yeah. sometimes feel relief it's like you give them permission to say yes mm -hmm. yeah adam this has been so much fun thank you and there's just so many nuggets that you've shared here i know that um a lot of my listeners are going to want to connect with you and follow you more closely especially on facebook so share with us here as we wrap up how can people connect with you and learn more about your services thank you i appreciate you uh, giving permission to do that uh my facebook group fastest path to cash that club not that com but that club uh, that will take you right to my facebook group um and then just my personal profile really not even business page just personal profile that's why i tend to share i, I communicate daily uh, some sort of business nugget. It doesn't, there's no opt-ins. 
there's no cost. You can unfollow me at any given time without me ever even knowing what happened. Uh, but if it resonates with you and you find value, uh, come and, and tune in and also chime in. Just say hello, say hi, uh, comment on what I do because that lets me know that it's actual value to someone. So. Great. And do you have a website that you would like to invite people to visit? Yeah, you can go. This is that's a whole different topic. I do have a website, the marketingmentors.com, T-H-E, marketingmentors.com. Funny enough, for someone who does 100% of the business online, we spend 0.01% of our attention on our website. <laughs> Great. Well, I can attest to the fact that your Facebook personal profile is well worth following. And for those that are listening and may not have access to the visual, it's Adam and Urbanski as U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I. So Adam, thank, thank you, you so much for joining me today. It has been just absolutely delightful. I My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I, I really admire, appreciate you and who you are and what you are doing and all the businesses that you've helped be more successful over the years. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com to learn how our tools can increase your impact with clients and expand your business. And while you're there, grab our free ebook, The Five Secrets to Getting Better at Anything. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell. Make it a great day.